It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This autumn, as the nights draw in, beat the cold with Now TV. Curl up with the latest blockbusters, including Bohemian Rhapsody and Hotel Mumbai. Plus, with over 40 new movies added each month, from Aquaman to How to Train Your Dragon 3, Now TV's got you covered, wherever you feel like watching. Get cosy with the latest and best movies for just $11.99 a month. Search Now TV today. 18 plus month passes auto renews unless cancelled. Terms apply. Dean Adda is one of my favorite poets, and one whose work has been commissioned by esteemed organizations throughout the UK, including the Keats House Museum, the National Portrait Gallery, and Tate Modern. His work is so deeply rooted in his experience as a gay black man, and through it, he tussles with or extols the virtues of what it means to live and love and survive while black. Throughout our conversation, we cover mental and emotional health, our often regrettable behavior on dating apps, what death taught him about living his own life more fully, and how he's learned to love himself, that most Herculean of feats for so many of us. We first met in the summer of 2017 at the Eden Arts Festival when Dean performed Black Flamingo, the only poem I've ever read that I feel was written specifically about me, which is saying a lot since I'm very good at placing myself in the center of pretty much anything. Dean and I sat down for a chat in my poorly insulated flat in East London, so throughout our conversation, you'll hear the hustle and bustle of London in the background. I'm Josh Rivers, and I'm Busy Being Black with Dean Atta. I'd like to start with um, Baby Dean. Baby Dean? Yeah. Okay. Tell me your your earliest memory. My earliest memory? Um, whew. It was probably... I remember it. And sometimes you wonder if you remember because you have told about things that you did. But when I was really little, about four years old, um, I used to go to like... Um, like theatre school on the weekends so I did like street dance and tap dance and singing classes and um, and then I told my mum 
um, I didn't want to go anymore because I wanted to watch cartoons. And so for, yeah, and then for the next four years, I didn't go until I was eight when I was like, actually, um, can I go back to doing dance and stuff? And um, went back to that. But it's just like, I remember just the decisiveness of me, like, throughout several points in my life, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Or, you know, I want to do that. And my mum always being very flexible with that, kind of whether I wanted to or didn't want to. It was just like, okay, as long as I've, you know, made my mind up, then that's fine. Like, if I've thought about it, then that's fine. And, um, yeah, so it's just kind of that, I want to watch cartoons um, rather than do dance classes, um, being the, the thing that I remember from when I was four. <laughs> and has that decisiveness carried through to your adult life? Yeah, I think even as a child, like when I was seven, I changed my surname from having my dad's surname to having my mum's surname because he wasn't in the picture and I didn't think it made sense. And I said that to my mum at seven years old. I was like, can I change my name? And she's like, um, in what way? And I was like, you know, just have a different surname, your surname, um, not his. And she was like, if you want to. And I was like, okay, and the teachers will and use that and that will be on the register. And, and they're like, yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. And I went to the top of the register with Atta. So, <laughs> but that wasn't the reason, I don't think. <laughs> but yeah, so, and then in my adult life, I guess when I was like a teenager and I was deciding whether I wanted to go to university, mm. so I'd done my GCSE, which was doing my A-levels, and I was saying to my mum, it's always conversations with my mum, I guess, um, but do I want to go to university? Do I, did I want to go to drama school? Or did I just want to like go travelling or not, you know, you know, go into work or just find something to do, just take some time out. And she just would say, whatever, whatever makes you happy, whatever you want to do. If you want to do drama school, you know, let's start preparing. If you want to go to university, think about what you want to do. If you want to work, think about that. If you want to take some time, you'll have to work to get money to go traveling or whatever you want to do. But like, she was up for it, whatever I wanted to do. And so she never really gave me advice, my mum. It was always just whatever makes you happy. But it was like, really forced me to think about what, would make me happy and what I did want to do because no one was telling me what to do ever really throughout my whole childhood and, and in my life now. And you've been quite a vocal um, advocate for mental health and self-care and this. Yeah. Is there something that happened that made that become very clear for you that you needed to take certain steps to protect yourself and, and your well-being? Well, my uncle has um, schizophrenia and that was something that my family had to gather around and figure out how to deal with that. And that happened when I was um, a teenager. And so that really made me think about, you know, mental health and in some ways. And then there's been people in my life who've had mental health issues and some, a friend who committed suicide. And, and so, you know, you have to take stock when, when things are happening really close to home. You have to think, how am I? Am I okay? Um, could this happen to me? So I, I kind of really wanted to make sure I was looking after myself and that I wasn't going to be um, faced with a situation where I wasn't getting help or wasn't getting the support I needed. Because I think I've gone up and down throughout my teens. And when I was like 15, 16, 17, I think I was quite depressed, but I thought that was just being a teenager. And maybe in some ways it was, but and it was also I'd come out at that time and I wasn't sure if maybe it was just like a struggle to accept myself, but I thought I did, but I also felt really down. And so it was a real mix. And sometimes I thought maybe it was just loneliness and, you know, whether it was wanting a boyfriend or, or, or just wanting to feel like there were more people um, I could relate to in certain ways. So, you know, I didn't really have lots of gay friends until I guess my twenties. And so, and I think that helped me kind of see myself in, in, you know, friends and, and not only relating to men through 
sexual relationships and and so I think my mental health comes into that because I think you just need to feel affirmed in life and mm. supported and feeling like people understand you and I think that helps a great deal with your mental health if you feel alone and not understood and isolated even within a family that loves you or friends that you know care for you but don't quite get you like that can be very difficult as well so I think having you know queer friends black queer friends has made a big difference I think to feeling um, affirmed and understood and um, you know a bit more secure in my myself as well because I see myself reflected in them and them reflected in me and that's really reassuring mm. you're part of the UK Crewman of Colour group on are you on Facebook? no I left that group oh right okay do you want to talk about that? No. Um, well it might only be a few instances but I saw um, things said that feel, felt not very productive mm. and very like um, and I, just very anti-white in a way that I was just like it's not going to help us, like, if we have screenshots of that going out. Yeah. Um, and so I just thought, like, I'm going to... I understand this space is necessary, but it's not for me. Um, and I think sometimes that's it, you know. You don't think a space shouldn't exist because it's not for you. You just think that space is not for me. I'll leave it. Mm. And I think that's... Um, a lot of white people or straight people don't understand that. Like, safe spaces, for example. I've put on and created events where it's, like, for just queer people or people of colour or queer people of colour and the, the kind of questions and complaints or you know confusion you get from people who then are not you know part of that group that couldn't come to that event um, it's just really fascinating to me that people don't understand why we might need a space for black people mm. or a space for queer people or queer people of colour or a trans space you know I've um, set up you know a, a workshop coming up with Travis and the Banza and, and it's going to be trans exclusive so I can't go to it and I'm really happy that they're going to have a, a space to do what needs to be done in that mm. space and um, I think we need to respect that um, exclusive spaces sh should exist and need to exist because if people don't feel like they can have conversations amongst the wider kind of conversation, if, it, if their voice isn't being heard and they need to talk amongst each other to figure out their stances or have internal fights and then not have those exposed, you know, mm. I think it's it's important to be able to talk amongst, um, you know, friends or comrades in a safe space and not have that, you know, people butting in that are not even part of that conversation. Mm. So, you know. I was having a conversation with um, a white man. We were getting into quite a heated debate about the need for safe spaces and he brought up um, the the feminist festival in Paris, I think it was, where there was okay. kind of a black women only space. Cool. And the outrage that they felt that uh, that white people were excluded from that. And I was like, okay, what what did you want to say in that space? Uh, and he was like, oh, well, I, I was like, no, because you obviously, you needed to be there. There's a, something that's missing if you're not in that space. So tell me what you would have said in that space. And he couldn't answer that, mm -hmm. right? Because he doesn't have anything to say. It's just the exclusion of himself as an individual from that space mm -hmm. he takes issue with. And mm -hmm. actually, we see that actually playing out on a much larger scale mm -hmm. globally, mm -hmm. right? People mm -hmm. are feeling excluded from these spaces as if their lives are directly affected by that exclusion. Yeah. And, and it's not. Yeah. And I just find that, I, I, I'm with you, I find it fascinating. But yeah. that challenge, what would you have said? Yeah, yeah. Is usually met with, Oh, there's no anything to contribute. Yeah, and going back to the the group on Facebook, anti whiteness probably is important because like whiteness is so destructive, 
But I think when it's targeted at individual white people is when it becomes hurtful and unnecessary. Mm. And so it's just about how we find that balance because yes, we want to deconstruct and, and get rid of all the damage, well, heal the damage that whiteness has done. But it's not the fault of each individual white person. And I know we know this. And so for me to say it's a bit redundant, but like when I, you know, still maintain strong, you know, friendships and um, relationships and have family who are white, I kind of have to think about, you know, I have those conversations with them and it's really important that I do. But I think someone that clearly like hates white people, I'm kind of like, okay, it's, 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 it's a tricky one because I get it and it's painful like um, to have been discriminated against and to be um, excluded and um, held back and rejected. And so you want to place that on, uh, on people, but it's a system, it's not individual people. That's right. Yeah. I, I never know, it's always a very difficult question to answer because in that space and indeed many black spaces, I see that need for people to get off their chest what they're unable to say while under the white gaze, mm. right? Yeah, because yeah. they immediately come under attack. Mm. And so I don't know what the answer is. You know, how do we turn, and maybe you do, how do we turn this need to vent, to mm. dispel our anger in some way? Mm. How do we do that in a way that, is, that isn't, because anger is damaging to ourselves, mm. right? Us holding on to it and us mm. get, passing on to the people, it's deleterious. So how have you learned to turn whatever, if you've had anger mm. or disappointments, or mm. how have you learned to turn that into something positive? Therapy. Right. Um, because... You know, and, and it's quite interesting when I've had white therapists, because I don't hold back, I still say exactly what I think, whether it's about race or, you know, whatever, but they have to professionally just hold that and hear that, right. and um, then that's that, and I got to say it to a white man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, um, I've started doing mindfulness, I do meditate, I do, do yoga, and I think all of those things help me kind of feel more in control of my life and the choices I make and in response to whether it's to discrimination or to anything else like how I respond to it um, so I try to be less reactionary and take a bit more time to think and um, and sometimes to not think to just let it let it be that is the reality and like trying to fight what's happening um, if it's not actually something you can change is very very painful and mm. so it's like how do what can I change it's about seeing what can I do what can I change um, what difference can I make and for me I choose to write I choose to support causes that are you know close to me and feel important for me to support um, but I've realized I think my art is the way I do my best work mm. and so that's where I try and focus my energy so I'm not always an activist in the kind of sense that some other people are uh, but I put it in my writing and um, I'm outspoken when I feel I can be and when I can kind of continue engaging in that conversation I don't want to just drop a bomb and run away <laughs> so I'm trying to like you know if I'm going to start a conversation I want to know I can engage in it with all the variations of opinions that are going to come my way well that's how change happens mm, right it's mm. that ability for us to kind of get, gather around the table together mm, mm. and have very uncomfortable mm. often um conversations with each other mm. you know even i think there's this myth that this is why i particularly like the the, the queer men of color group is because i think there's this myth that we arrive fully formed <laughs> or that 
or that we all agree, mm-hmm. you know, like there's a unanimous mm-hmm. consensus that mm-hmm. queer black mm-hmm. people feel this way. And mm-hmm. actually what you see in that group yeah. um, is the full range of experiences and yeah. differing yeah. opinions about how we deal with anger and trauma and what love looks like mm-hmm. and what intimacy looks like. And there isn't a consensus. Mm-hmm. And I find that kind of like very... Um, it's, there's a lot to chew on in that space mm, mm, mm. but how we then go from that space and then interact with the world around us yeah, right yeah it, it is kind of I don't think what we've all figured out yet yeah yeah I just think for me I would rather have those conversations in an even more private space so just right. sitting down with a friend you know so I talk a lot to Travis and Lavanza about things that I don't yet feel I get and they are really patient with me and help me understand things and I talk a lot to Keith Jarrett about things that we similarly have experienced but maybe have a different perspective on mm. and that is really um, beneficial to me and because both people I've mentioned are poets um, when I write about subject matter that they may understand and um, have insight on, they're really generous in like reading first drafts of my poetry and helping me, um, you know, with things I might have got wrong, you know, or might might need to be a bit more nuanced, or um, just telling me that, hmm, this is problematic. And I just love that having that kind of level of because um, I put stuff into the world, you know, so yeah. I have to be able to stand by it, um, and that's really difficult to be sure you will be able to in three months, six months, two years time. Um, And so I really try hard to get other opinions on my work, but just from people I know and trust. Yeah, later on down the line, I might get someone else tell me, oh, that poem, you know, that was a bit iffy because, you know, you you really didn't consider this point of view. And I'm like, ah. But at the end of the day, I have the fallback of, this is just my opinion. This is just my experience. Um, and so I think artists are quite lucky in that because we're not um, necessarily spokespeople for a community, but we are uh, by proxy because if there aren't many other voices out there, you know, black queer voices, then um, people will look to what I've written about stuff to say, oh, what do, what's a black queer perspective? Like, or, you know, then I get asked to go and talk on podcasts or radio or TV and I am aware that I'm not there doing a poem now, I'm just talking, I'm just giving mm. opinions and am I going to get this right and am I going to let my community down? And you feel that pressure mm. once you are not able to be, you know, editing your poem and redrafting it and like getting it to be perfect and say exactly what you mean. And then you have to speak spontaneously on some panel somewhere and you're like, oh my God, this is different. This is very different. Yeah. Um, it, did I even sign up for this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you're a voice. Yeah. 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 I think that, that finding our voice for all of us. Mm-hmm. And I think some people don't realize they have one, right? I didn't realize I had one, you know, several years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but then came to the realization, oh, that I do have one and mm-hmm. I better use it for something. Mm-hmm. How have you found your voice? Is it through poetry? Definitely through poetry. Um, because people listen and people tell you, whether it's in person at a reading or performance, um, or messaging you after they see you perform or have heard you on the radio or seen you on the TV and tell you that they connected with your work, that it, it was an experience that they'd had too or something they'd never experienced but now they understand it a bit better, this situation that I've described in my poem. And um, that matters, you know. I've had people message me to say they've heard a certain poem by me and, and then they chose to come out to family wow. or friends, you know or people that have just kind of felt seen and understood in in a poem of mine. And so that really makes a difference. And so, 
Um, and for me, it makes me feel seen and understood, you know, because I get to put across my experience and then people listen to it. And that just, yeah, feels wonderful. Black Flamingo was that <laughs> for me when you read it um, at the Eden Project. Yeah, yeah. I had just never heard a poem mm. that I felt was absolutely about me. Okay. Can you speak about the genesis of Black Flamingo? Yeah, so I was in Cyprus visiting my grandparents. So my mom's family is from Cyprus. My dad's family's from Jamaica, and I go to Cyprus very regularly. Um, I've been to Jamaica twice, but go to Cyprus probably every summer, and so that's the place I feel most kind of like comfortable. But I always also feel I stand out, you know, um, because you know I'm 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 a black man, and when I was little or when I was a teenager, I I used to have uh, dreadlocks, and so people used to point at me on the beach and say, Bob Marley, Bob Marley. And people would want to come and touch my, my locks. And um, even the same when I later cut the locks and grew my hair long, people would want to touch my hair. Mm. And, you know, you just become an object or, you know, um, just, oh, look, black. And That's like, why we, I shaved my head. Really? Yeah, because really? I was tired of people touching my hair. Wow. And it being the thing that defined mm, me. Mm, mm. Karen, sorry. So no, I, I felt like I, I felt at home there, but I also stood out there. And so when I was there in 2015, um, I was visiting um, my family, um, but you know, my mum, my sister didn't come over me, so it was just me and my grandparents on that occasion. And um, there was this news item of a black flamingo um, had come to Cyprus and it was like the first sighting of this black flamingo in Cyprus and then when you went about um, in cafes on the beach people you heard people talking about the black flamingo oh did you see the black flamingo and it was just like there was something about it that was like that's me like I'm the black flamingo and, and for me it just kind of made perfect sense because of you know how fabulous flamingos are and um, I just kind of felt like that's a black gay icon for me. Like mm. it just became something. And I do drag and I've started doing drag as the black flamingo and with black feathers and, you know, and, and I just feel fabulous when I do it. And it's just a reclaiming of something that I didn't know I didn't have. Busy Being Black returns in just a moment. Hello, I'm Tom Kerridge from the BBC Good Food podcast, where each week we chat about seasonal ingredients, smart cooking techniques and easy recipes to make at home that are totally lush. The BBC Good Food podcast is sponsored by Victorinox. Known for the iconic Swiss army knife, Victorinox began as a cutler's workshop in the heart of Switzerland. Crafted from European walnut wood and completely Swiss made, The Swiss Modern Knife Collection has all the key tools to prepare your seasonal meals and is perfect for both professional and amateur chefs. Claim a 20% discount on orders £100 or above on victorinox.com using the code TKPOD20. Terms and conditions from the website apply. Subscribe now to enjoy the BBC Good Food podcast with me, Tom Kerridge, every week on your favourite podcast app. UK Black Pride is Europe's largest celebration for African, Asian, Middle Eastern, Latin American and Caribbean heritage LGBT people and our annual festival takes place on Sunday the 8th of July in Vauxhall Park. Make sure you save the date. You can find out more at ukblackpride.org.uk and by following at UK Black Pride on Twitter. 
One, April evening in Cyprus. Your grandfather draws your attention to the news. The story, a black flamingo has landed on the island. An expert on screen explaining, it is the opposite of an albino. Too much melanin, he says. Camera pans the salt lake full of pink, but the eye is drawn to that one black body in the flamboyance. Two. I want to be a pink flamingo. Pink, definitely pink. I want my feathers to match the hue you imagine. I want to blend in. Nothing but flamingoness. David Attenborough would say, here we see the most typical flamingo, though I don't want to be the most, just typical. A wrapping paper pattern. I don't want to stand apart, nothing different about my parts. My beak, just a beak. My head, just a head. My neck, body, wings, the rest. Pink, definitely pink. Three. Another April evening in Cyprus. Your beach towel and shorts are dry now. Couples on mopeds ride past the house. The dogs walk their humans before dinner. Your grandfather coughs violently and then lights another cigarette. Your grandmother calls you both in to eat. The black flamingo is on the news again. You pick the dining chair facing the TV. Grandfather asks, why does it matter if he's black? Adding, the other flamingos don't care. And you are certain what he's saying is I love you. I feel very fortunate that I didn't have a family that rejected me Mm. for any reason, you know. They let me be my full self. And I think that's made a difference to how I am in the world. Because I'm like, you know, if this this old Greek man can love me being black and gay, like... Although I don't know that my granddad knew I was gay. Like, it was just like, I was just me. I was just his, 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 like, fun grandson. Like, and he never met a boyfriend, so I don't know if he ever knew... Um, for sure, but it just didn't even feel like um, it was an issue there. Um, but I just always felt, you know, well, actually, all of my Jamaican family knew I was gay, and that was where I was maybe more worried. Um, and, you know, we make these assumptions, don't we, that, yes. oh, you know, people from the Caribbean are going to be more homophobic. And, you know, it's family's family, and if they love you, they love you. And, yeah, there's a wider society out there, and there may be maybe problems and it may not be as easy but I think don't assume people are going to be homophobic obviously you've got to be safe you know you've got to pick your battles as Mm. well Um, and you know if you if you want to you know if you can't if you don't have the means to leave home yet is it wise to come out if you don't have the means to leave the town you live in is it wise to come out yeah Um, so those are things people have to consider Um, I feel lucky I maybe that I didn't have to think mm. like that. I just kind of just I just kinda of came out by accident even. How like did it happen? Well I was fifteen and um everyone was like pairing off at school, like it, there was just all these couples happening and I was like looking around and there was this one boy in my drama class that I thought, Well he's cute and so I just asked him out and he was like oh, um, I've got a girlfriend at another school. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, but I am bisexual and I'm really flattered. And I was like, oh, thank you. Good. (laughs) And then everyone at school was like, so are you and John going out? And I was like, no, he's got a girlfriend. And they're like, oh, so you got rejected. (laughs) And that was the thing. It wasn't, oh, you're gay. It's like, you got rejected. like that, And that's a normal school thing. And so I felt really like, this is fine. Mm. Like, they laugh for, for a day or two about me getting rejected. And then it was normal. Wow. And then one of my friends was like, so 
I know this guy. Like, and then it was just like, and then I had a boyfriend, which, like, never, which never ever stops, right? Your entire yeah. life, everyone has a gay yeah. friend. You're yeah. Like, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. It's never worked when I've been set up with anyone, but like, it's, it's always worth giving it a shot, like, because it's funny. It's people care. They yeah, don't want right. you to be lonely. That's right. And I think it's cute. Like, yeah. It used to really annoy me, but now it's, I, I like it. It's yeah. sweet. It yeah. shows that people, I think it shows a consideration. So do you go on the dates when people are like, I know this guy? Typically, no. Okay. But I will have a conversation. <laughs> okay. Right? But that probably has more to do with my intimacy issues than it does with, when it, with any kind of like phobia around blind dates. Okay. But, okay. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to talk about these intimacy issues? I am working on that. <laughs> How? Yeah, I don't know. I think um, I'm in recovery, and um, and I, I found th- there's there's a number of things that have coalesced recently that have made me realize that it's really important for me to seek the help I need to be the best version of myself, because mm-hmm. my life purpose is to be in service of others, particularly queer people of color. Mm-hmm. And in order for me to do that, I have to be present, I have to be vulnerable, I have to be willing to crack myself open. Mm. Right? It was a really powerful quote that I heard via Jane Fonda. She said, the moment I thought I was broken, I realized I was broken open. Mm. And so I feel like that at the moment. And mm-hmm. so part of that, you know, part of drug use has been about that fear of intimacy, which is perhaps based in a deep mistrust mm. or distrust rather. Um, and so how I kind of confront that, it, it seems to me the only way to do that is to open oneself back up again and kind of like move head first into mm-hmm. that. So I'm trying step by step, kind of like accepting invitations from guys to have a coffee or you know, mm-hmm. whatever, and mm-hmm. just not being terrified that they're going to notice that I'm horribly flawed. <laughs> <laughs> but we all are. I know, yeah. And that's it. You know, we all are. And I'm a perfectionist, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, I learned very early on that I had to sing for my supper and mm-hmm. that performance of intelligence and, you know, that, that being entertaining to people got me the attention I needed to feel validated. Mm-hmm. And part of that was this edifice of perfection, right? Which is such a moving goalpost that mm-hmm. one never reaches. And that's been really damaging to the intimacy as well because you know, you're terrified that someone's going to see behind that. Because mm-hmm. right? once mm-hmm. you get into a room with someone and you sit on a couch and you have a conversation, mm-hmm. it's so hard for that edifice to stay mm-hmm. erected. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What's been your biggest hurdle? My biggest hurdle? Um, I think, well, one of them was this um, past summer when my grandfather died. Because um, I don't think I really... I don't think I really had had death, you know, apart from the one friend who um, killed himself. And and I think I understood that for him wanting to escape depression. And I kind of got that with my granddad, even though he was 80-something and, like, he'd been sick for a while. I was still like, is he ready to go? Is this, is this fair? Is this... And I was just like, you know, this... And then, like... Not long after, um, well, yeah, a few months later, a friend um, letting us know that she had cancer and then dying just before Christmas. And, you know, I think death and mortality and, um, you know, that it can happen at any age, you know, like, and for any reason, you know, people can just be gone from your life and be gone from their own lives, you know, and that's the thing, like, what is it we're trying to achieve with our lives and how you know, if it's goals that are long off, like, does that mean if you don't reach them, you didn't achieve? Or Mm. is it about, you know, being present and loving people? And like, so I felt very fortunate I got to be with my 
grandfather in his last week of his life in the hospital and my friend who died of cancer got to be with her for the last few weeks of her life in the hospital and um, just like that moment by moment loving someone you know being there holding their hand stroking their head whatever it is they need to feel loved and you don't have to only do that in someone's last days you can love someone in every moment that you're with them and I think being present in your time with people you know whether it's now you know my my little niece who's two or my mom or my sister or my my friends or my partner or my housemates even like thinking about how you are loving in those interactions whether they're the the people that you're closest to or the the receptionist at the yoga studio don't just rush in you know because you're late to class and don't even acknowledge them as a person Mm. um you know thinking about how you um are loving in all your interactions and not just when it feels so important to show them love because it's the end um and i just kind of trying to think about that and then how you extend that it's not really extend but how you um turn that inwards on yourself how can you be loving to yourself in every moment mm. um, you know, <laughs> how do you make those choices that mm. are loving for yourself not punishing yourself or not you know um pushing yourself in ways you might not be ready to be pushed or you know um yeah, I think we chastise ourselves more than other people do. And I think it's important if we can think, it would be really unreasonable for me to talk to my friend like that. Why am I talking to myself like that? So I think it's love. Love has been the... the even though I was very loved as a child and, you know, all my life, I still struggle with, you know, really expressing it beyond the words, you know, to mm. put it in the in deeds, you know, to, to show love. And my mum would say it, you know, actions speak louder than words. She always said that to me as a as a kid. And I was like, yeah, but I need to hear I love you as well. You know, it's 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 a balance. And I don't know if you've read this book, The Five Love Languages. Mm. Um, it's it's a really interesting book. And I, and I read that um, on recommendation of a therapist and I found it fascinating. So it's like there's apparently, according to this guy, Gary Chapman, I think his name is, there's five types of love roughly so words of affirmation so like i love you mm. you're beautiful whatever it might be acts of service so doing things to help people um, physical touch um, quality time and gifts and um, gifts never have mattered to me like i really don't mind about gifts but i think words of affirmation and quality time time with people are really really important for me and physical touch is kind of yeah hugs and kisses and sex and all of all of it um, are very good. Other people express and experience love in different ways. So trying to figure out what is loving for you might not feel as loving for someone else. Mm. So if you need to hear lots of words to tell you that you're great, um, but you're with someone, whether they're your friend or family partner, but they need you to like help them move house like uh, you know that oh, is demonstrative that yeah. that shows that that you love them because you turn up and you do shit to help them out um but you know if you can't turn up and all you say is oh i wish i could have been there i really would have loved to help but you didn't so right. it doesn't matter right. to them so it's just kind of like figuring out like how other people work and realizing that not everyone operates the same way as you and you've got to like kind of be flexible in how you um but you also have to be um like if I know I need quality time, the friend that the friend that like messages me a lot is great. But if I need to see you, like you can message me every day, but you ha- if I haven't seen you in three months, I need to just tell that friend, 
I know we're in touch with the time, but actually for me, you know, an hour of having coffee, which just means so much, like, could, could we do that mm. sometime this week, next week? And if they don't respond to that request, then you have to think, you know, if you're asking and they're not willing to love you in the way that you need to be loved, like, is that going to work? Right. Whether it's friends or partners mm. or family members. And so then, you know, nurturing relationships where you're both trying equally is quite important, you know, because I think you're not going to be getting it right for other people in your life. But if they're not getting it right for you, it's your job to tell them, you know, if you're not getting it right for them, they've got to tell you or you've got to ask them, how could I love you better? You know, how could I be a better friend, a better son, a better brother, you know? And if they tell you, then listen and try, you know? Oh, I love that question. How can I love you better? Yeah. Because it's a question we, we need to ask ourselves. But I'm, I'm struggling with that at the moment. That I annoyed myself so much yesterday. Okay. I mean, I was really on my own. You're so fucking annoying. <laughs> and it was because I was... You know, I was being very pedantic about something, and mm. I like wouldn't let this thing go that I needed mm. to get out into the world mm. because I was being so pedantic, which made me late for something else, and then I couldn't figure out what black T-shirt I wanted to wear, and all my black T-shirts look exactly the same. <laughs> it was, I, and I was like walking to the tube, and I was like, "You are so annoying! Like, why have you annoyed yourself so much?" <laughs> and I had wound myself up mm. so tightly, and I got to this interview, and I had to like. I had to like go into the breathing exercise, and then I got the interview and I felt better. But as soon as the guest left, my mind started up again, and I was like, I, "How do I stop doing this? How do I stop thinking like this?" And it was, it was. I figured it out there was my mind telling me, "You're so tired. Okay, you're so tired. Please just go to sleep." Mm. And so I ended up taking a nap, and I woke up and I was like, "Oh my god, I feel so much better." Okay, so. And that's love, right? Mm. That, that's loving mm. ourselves. That's asking ourselves, what, what do I need mm. right now? What do I need mm. in this mm. space? Mm. And then I think what I hear you saying is that we then have to be... So we at first have to be able to know what it is we need, mm -hmm. what type of love we need. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have to be able to ask for that and communicate that, mm -hmm. which I think is a whole other thing, yeah. right? It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It becomes this big thing. How did you learn to ask for that? Um, well, I've always arts for things like my mum again always comes back to my mum but it was very much you don't ask you don't get and so she was always like you've got to ask for the things you want so whether it was I want a free venue to put on an event or I want you know money like <laughs> to do this xyz like I could ask for things like that um but when it was things around love it was very different and difficult you had to think about um because people have to choose to love you, you know, like people don't just automatically love you because you're related to them That's or right. because you've known them a certain amount of time. Yeah. Blood or, is accidental. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, you could just then realize they're not willing to express love. Therefore, they may not even like love you in the way that you think love is. Um, and so it was just it's just opened you up to rejection and I'm scared of rejection. Like mm. my dad left, um, when I was a baby and you know, we saw what happened there. I changed my surname. Like, so this is my reaction to rejection. I cut you off. Yes. Like I get quite cold about things. And, um, I think, you know, I was worried if I then started examining my relationships, friendships and, and asked for certain things and wasn't going to get them. Um, would I end up with no friends? Would I end up, you know, like with a very few family members that I'm still communicating with? But you have to be willing, you know, because you have to like, 
maybe you do have to do that and build it back up again and, and with, with intention because a lot of your friendships and obviously your family is all accidental. So, mm. you know, they, they're not necessarily all the best people for you. <laughs> that, <laughs> there has never been something closer to the truth. <laughs> it, yeah, it's true. Mm. And I think particularly as a queer community, mm we grapple with that right i mean that is grief that's loss that's trauma that that we that we bump into i think really regularly mm. and then that rejection then kind of extends and you know we many of us i think and I, I don't think i'm generalizing but i think many of us feel this rejection at home mm. and then we go out into the world mm. looking for it only to then be rejected mm. and then this it's just a not this knock on effect and yeah. i think now we're seeing this manifestation of this lack of humanity, right? Yeah. This, how we use technology, how we interact with each other. Do we converse? Are we well, sharing experiences? In the queer community, a lot changed for me when I stopped trying to play hot or not with every gay person I met. You know what I mean? Like, would <laughs> yeah. I sleep with you? Would I? Wouldn't I? And I think that is, you know, that's not. That's very natural. Like, that's part of you know a deep part of us. I'm sure you know a very natural part of us. I don't think that's um, socialization. I just think that's like what we're programmed for as human beings to mm. like you know f- find a companion but like I think once I stopped doing that so overtly and like in my interactions and in my like intentions of going into a room like I could just see people and, and mm. not necessarily like meet other queer men I guess I'm talking about um, with like would I sleep with you or not like mm. and trying to make that you know, figure that out before anything else, like, because, yeah. you know, you've got to, if you can treat people as people and, and, and not just like a means to an end, if you know what I mean, like, exactly. I think you, you, you get much more richer interactions, whether they become even friendships or anything is almost beside the point. It's just like, how do you treat everyone with respect in a situation and not just as a, mm. you know, a body for you to like... Well, I mean, I do think we've been socialized as gay men, mm. right, that our value is in our body mm. and that... I don't know. That's the impression I've gotten. Yeah. Right? That this, and I'm working against it now, right? Because mm-hmm. like you, I'm like, oh wait, that doesn't work. That's yeah. Very and it's not just gay men. Like coming back to my mum again, because like she says things to me that she thinks are harmless. She said to me, because we go to Cyprus a lot, so she sees me on the beach in my swimming trunks, and she says to me like, you know, you'd look so good with a six pack, Dean. I don't know why you don't like go to the gym. And I'm like, I don't care. Like I don't care. She's like. Imagine you with a six pack. I'm like, I can imagine it, but whatever. Yeah. Like, and you know, I do yoga, so I care more about what my body can do than what it looks like. Um, and I think if I accidentally, after years of yoga, got a six pack, which won't happen, but like, I wouldn't mind having one. It's not like I'm anti six pack. Yeah. Like, but it's not my goal. Like, my goal is like to be strong and to you know be able to do these yoga postures because that's an intention you know I've set for myself by doing yoga as a practice, but. I'm not, like, bothered about the body. And I would... I don't know what it's like, you know, if you have a certain body and people are attracted to you for it, mm. like, how then you move beyond that, like, with people? Tell me. It's an assault sword. <laughs> assault Because um, if yeah. you know someone, like, if you're topless and you know someone's talking to you for your muscles, mm. like, how do you then move beyond? Is it? Is it... <clears throat> I'm trying to figure that out. Okay. Right? Because the other day someone asked me at random, this happens a lot. Yeah. Um, how often do you go to the gym? Okay. Just random people. Mm. And I'm like, 
you don't randomly ask people, strangers, what what's the last book they read? Hmm. Which right? we did. <laughs> so, so that that means that it's not a substantive question that you're asking me. Mm-hmm. What is it? Why is it that you look at me and you see mm-hmm. and you feel compelled mm-hmm. to comment? I'm learning more and more how women feel walking through the world. Okay. Right. This. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, and I don't think that I, you know, I, I don't fancy myself as, you know, a body to be stared at. I don't want it, mm-hmm. right? So it, it's kind of grappling. It's kind of not, it's trying not to get annoyed when someone reduces me to okay. the exterior, mm-hmm. which is what's happened my entire life, yeah. right? And I'm yeah, like, yeah. I have a brain, and I'm very intelligent, and I like having conversations. And there's so much more I care about mm-hmm. than my physical appearance. Mm-hmm. And there's so many things I'm insecure about about my physical appearance. Mm-hmm. So it's like this. You know, it's mm-hmm. this attention that I, I could, I, I really don't care for. Mm. I just don't think it's based on anything good. No. Right? I don't think so. They're either comparing me to themselves mm. or comparing me to someone else mm. or, mm. yeah. Yeah. So it's weird. What about guys that, because I've had this, like guys that are like, I love your color. Oh God, don't. <laughs> <laughs> You're so exotic. Yeah. I'm like, this isn't a fucking petting zoo. Back yeah. off. Yeah. yeah. Or the, is it true? Like. <laughs> You know, how, how, who let someone think that was okay? I don't know. And I think, I, well, I think we've, we've participated in it. I know I did, right? In my yeah. early twenties, okay. I, I thought it was, um, such a compliment mm. to be stroked. Your skin mm. is so soft and mm. what a great mm. color and mm. wow. And are you Brazilian? And mm. I thought that was, I get that one. Yeah. <laughs> which is, they mean it as a compliment, yeah. right? Because yeah. Brazilians are, um, generally are, are very beautiful. Mm. Uh, or you know, as, as it's a beauty, it's a beauty standard we understand, yeah. right? <laughs> um, and I'm like, oh, this is validation. This mm. is nice. I like this. Mm. You know, that's always. But it's it's racialized, right? Yeah. Because well, like, it's typically white people who say stuff like that. And when you look at the apps, I sometimes wonder. You know, when a white man puts no black, no Asians, I'm obviously like, that's racist. When another white man puts um, interested in black and mixed guys or interested in Arab guys that's also racist in some way yes. you know and I just think you know if someone wants me because I'm black or mixed like there's a problem with you the same way as there's someone who doesn't want me for those reasons that's right like, I just think just don't mention it and I just think you can't necessarily help your preferences unless you do some deep work unless you really think about why you have them but verbalizing them is, or writing them on your profile is a whole nother thing. That's right. Like, and I just think, where did, when did we like drop the kind of correctness in the gay community that these kind of like things can be said? I don't even think it's, be... I think it's a respect. Yeah. Right. And I think this goes respect. back to what I was saying about respect. a lack of humanity. Mm-hmm. Right. And I talk about this a lot, mm-hmm. right. That it's, it isn't just an app, right. Mm-hmm. A technology that has been layered on top, you know, that is, that is within a phone and then it's not just the app mm. and the phone, it's mm. like the internet, right? So there's this distance that is that you can measure mm-hmm. on the app, mm-hmm. but then there is an immeasurable distance mm-hmm. between you and someone else yeah. vis-a-vis well, the internet. Right? I've, I've, I've been, I guess, guilty of like not necessarily treating people with respect on apps because like, and nothing to do with race or anything like that, but when I get sick of the app, like, when I'm just like, I don't want to be on Grindr or whichever app it might be, I just delete it. And I forget that I was, like, in some quite... I'd made some way in some conversations with some people. Right. So then, like, if a few months later I go back on the app, someone has, you know, a few few times someone's messaged me and said, 
you disappeared. We were having a really nice conversation yeah. and I was like enjoying, you know, and I thought, and you just disappeared. What was that about? And I was like, oh, I didn't even think of you. Like, I didn't think of that person <laughs> yeah. that I was talking to. I just thought this whole app annoys me. Like, and everyone on it can go away. That's right. Like, and you don't think that actually, if I was like, we were, you know, I was chatting to you now or not you, but like someone, I was chatting yeah. to someone at a coffee shop and then I was just like, I'm sick of this. And just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do yeah. that. You would not do that. Yeah. And so it's, it makes you think like there is a, a distancing that goes on there regardless of, um, you know, your, your in real life etiquette you'd have with people. You just forget it sometimes. On the yeah. Time. And I've been, I've been, um, I've disregarded people in that space too, right? Because there is something contagious about disrespect. And I think what people don't realize is that as we are diminished in this, we're bringing our diminished selves Mm. or our, or our empowered selves, Mm. right? It's Mm. into this space. Mm. So if our interaction with this technology, if we feel reduced by it, Mm. if we feel diminished by it, Mm. it's going to be very hard for us to pass on a message of empowerment to Mm -hmm. someone else, Mm -hmm. right? It's going to be, if we feel disrespected, it's very hard in this space. So my, you know, my thing with apps is, is, I don't want to be seen per se, mm. right? For me, it's the transactional nature. Yeah. And so when someone's like, what are you up to today? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> does it matter? <laughs> and I don't like that person who I become in that space, yeah. but I do realize I've become that person because I, it's me. Well, I've had people message me say, Dean Atta, the poet, or someone once sent me a picture of themselves holding my book. And I was like, that's better than dick pic, but yeah. like, it still makes me a bit embarrassed. Okay. Like, and so I just kind of thought maybe I shouldn't be on here. Like, I don't know. It's... Well, I think we're not taught to encounter or to embrace yeah. our sex lives alongside our professional lives. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And there, you know, there isn't, you know, I can't be slut shamed. Right. There, okay. That's, that's my, James Baldwin said, I decided to allow no room in my life for anything that caused me shame. Mm. And there's so much shame that I'm carrying around. And the only way to dispel that shame, as Brene Brown says, is bringing it into light. Mm. So I was like, what is something I'm very insecure about? And it's like, drug use and sex. Okay. So I'm like, I'm just going to talk about them all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And that's working? Yeah, it's working. Because honesty feels better, Mm. right? And I don't mind, I think... Again, it helps me counter this perfectionism that I feel like I need to maintain. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a problem with this. I struggle here. Intimacy is a problem. Because I'm hoping that I, someone else will be able to like, oh, here's some stuff that I found helped me. Okay. <laughs> that are not drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I don't know. How do we cultivate this healthy, right? Ajamu tried to do this, I think. Like, yeah. We are sexual beings. Yeah. Why have we been taught to hide that mm. and separate it from this public persona? Mm. And I think gay men writ large have this problem, right? Mm. It's like mm. what happens on the weekends and on the behind closed doors stays yeah. right there. Yeah. And I'm just curious about how we bring these conversations into the light. Yeah, but I think some of that's a hang up from the 60s and before. Before, you know, it was decriminalized partially you know we had to be behind closed doors it had to be a separate from your everyday life and I think some people have just kind of carried on that way and um, you know it's still a problem you know potentially to hold your partner's hand in the street let alone kiss them you know and when you see straight couples doing that um, it's not a problem you know and so I just feel like we are still pushed 
into the shadows and into the margins and so we do do that to ourselves as well with this because it's like you feel like people will accept you minus your sexuality so you keep your sexuality to one side not to get acceptance yeah. and so I think people just you know take that to extremes sometimes and then when they get to the time when they can be sexual it's like like an yeah. explosion yeah. you know and I think that's partly it it's not all of it but that's what I've seen um, and I feel like you know so for me it's like more you know more holding my partner's hand in public more kissing in public you know more just normalising more talking about being gay when I've not been invited to you know <laughs> like when I do workshops in schools even if it's not LGBT history month talk about being gay because it's part of my poetry it's part of my identity I'm here I'm queer you know like yeah. just do it all the time um, so that everyone's met someone gay like everyone that I've met needs to know they've met a gay person so they don't go about thinking they don't know a gay gay man or black gay man like because I just think it's familiarity that, that changes society actually you know and um, so if I feel strong enough to go out there and be open all the time it may help others that aren't yet able to um, to kind of like encounter more compassionate people because you know I think if I've interacted with someone I, I'm sure I've made them a bit better <laughs> like you know yeah. I don't I don't think I'm going around making people worse like so <laughs> um although on grinder maybe I yeah. don't know. um who knows um but I just feel like it's it's important um for us to you know yeah like you say own it like have no shame about things that sh- you shouldn't be ashamed of you know because yeah, I, I think it's the only way we can we, we can connect to yeah. each other Right? I'm not the only person who feels shame about addiction or shame mm. about sex mm. or how I've behaved in the past. Mm. But actually no one will know that they have a friend in that, yeah. on that journey mm. unless that friend speaks. Yeah, yeah. And so maybe, I guess my, my point is you know, my job is to make sure I think that no queer brown boys go through what I went through, whether that's mm. sexual assault or mm. you know, abandonment or rejection or whatever. Mm-hmm. So what can I do that help, might help counter that in the future? Yeah, yeah. What would you tell a younger version of yourself. I just want to tell him that he's fabulous and like he doesn't even know how fabulous and he needs to um, just accept all the love that is being offered to him every day because I was so loved and I felt so sad and it was just so interesting to have that contradiction. Mm. Um, and don't be afraid to be like messy and get it wrong and just go for it. Like, because I think I... Um, you know, sometimes a bit of a perfectionist and I want things to go a certain way and be how I pictured them. But the process changes that and, you know, there are challenges and it sometimes turns into something more beautiful mm, and more mm. incredible. And so I think just to, yeah, live my life in love, you know, because I am really loved. That's, so nice. That's what I'd say to him and to me now, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> how to love yourself. Write your own list and only take from this the things that work for you. Yoga, running, walking, meditation, a good night's sleep, drinking plenty of water, comfort food, quality time, turning off your phone, cinema trips alone, forgiveness. Do not make a list of your virtues and vices. Do not do it because of your virtues or in spite of your vices. Do not feed your fears. Your fears have an insatiable appetite. Do not feed your ego. Your ego has an insatiable appetite. Learn to live with a certain amount of hunger. 
Do not expect to be full all of the time. Do not place parts of yourself on the table to be dined upon. Go to the library and take yourself off the shelf. Check yourself out. Read yourself. If you're not satisfied with how your story reads, make as many edits as you want to. Take the new edition of yourself back to the library and if asked about the edits, politely or not so politely, remind them that you are the author. When no one turns up to your poetry reading, read your poems out loud anyway. When no one turns up to be your father, grow up to be a great man anyway. Say your name out loud until you feel good about the way it sounds. If that proves impossible, rename yourself. Remember, if you rename yourself for a laugh too many times on Facebook, you may get stuck with a bad joke. Learn to laugh at yourself more often. Do not spend too much time on social media looking at other people's photos, relationships, marriages or valentines. Refuse to acknowledge February 14th as any more important than any other day. Do not compare your days to anyone else's. Yes, you have the same amount of hours in the day as Beyonce, but you are not Beyonce. Find yourself. Find yourself attractive. If that proves impossible, relearn what attractive is. You are not Tinder. You are already flame. Swipe right to your reflection every morning. Say this in the mirror. I accept myself unconditionally right now. Remember that just because someone is single and finds you attractive and good company, that does not mean they'll be able to love you. There are many reasons someone may not be able to love you that are not about you. Their reasons are not your faults, not your reflection. Their reasons belong to them. Remember that no one belongs to you but you. No one knows you as well as you do. And your list needn't read anything like this. Dean Adda is a writer and poet based in London, and I encourage you to get spirited away in his work by visiting deanadda.com. Thank you to our partners, UK Black Pride and Blackout UK, and to you, the listeners. I would love to hear from you, particularly if you have some recommendations for hay fever medicine. You can get in touch at busybeingblackpod at gmail.com. And remember this, your support doesn't cost any money. Please leave a rating and a review and follow us on social media where you can join the conversation using the hashtag being black. Finally, thank you to Anthony Giles, a queer black Grammy-nominated producer based in New York for these bomb-ass busy being black beats. Ashe. Hello, my name is Dr. Rongan Chatterjee, host of the Feel Better Live More podcast, where I give you simple tips on things like improving sleep, energy, and gut health that will leave you feeling happier and calmer. The podcast is brought to you by JW Marriott. Traveling can really take its toll on the body, but inspired by the principles of mindfulness, JW Marriott is designed to let you focus on feeling whole. With more than 90 hotels in the world, visit jwmarriott.com for more information. 108. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.